This is LAC Online Church. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit LakeErieChurch.com. Now here's today's message. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew chapter 6. As you know, we are continuing our series called Countercultural. Last week, Pastor Dustin preached on being the real deal, not being fake, not being hypocritical with your life. The week before that, he preached on being a difference maker, how we are the salt and the light of the earth. Had that great illustration where the lights went out and we lit up our phones and you saw how light penetrates the darkness and then we had the privilege to hear him sing, which who knew that Dustin was such a great singer. I didn't know that. That was a revelation that morning that he is singing. Hopefully he'll be doing more of that. What we are learning with the series is this, that God is calling us to live extraordinary lives in a world that is increasingly more hostile uh, to Christianity. And, and I keep asking myself as I work through this passage, why is it important? Why is it important for us to be countercultural? Why is it important to God that we be so unique in a world that is so hostile to faith? I think this week has been a perfect example of that. I think it's been a perfect example that God is calling the church to be a voice and a light in a world that is so dark. Not to debate, not to argue, that's not our place. Our place is to be living examples of what it looks like when somebody is fully and completely devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've said this a lot here at Lake Erie since I've been your pastor, but when people who are unbelievers, when they wonder what it would be like to serve Christ, if they wondered what it would like to be a Christian, where is the example? Who is the Holy Spirit pointing them to, to say, it looks just like that guy right there, Matt? You know Matt. You know who Matt is. It looks just like him. If you are devoted to Christ, it's just like what he is. Because each of us in our own way is that living, breathing example of what faith looks like lived out in the real world. And if you don't think people are watching, you're just not paying attention. We'll say more about this in the weeks to come. But if there has ever, ever been a time for us to be the body of Christ, if there's ever been a time for us to be this living example, it's now. So as we get ready this morning to read God's Word, let me just give you one more piece of personal reflection that I've been thinking about now for several days. We come to moments like this this morning one of my biggest fears is that you will sit here and listen to this and never encounter Jesus. I mean, it's possible that you could sit in this room every Sunday 
Hear the word of God preached and be lost. Just being in the room doesn't count. Just reading your Bible doesn't count. You have to personally encounter the Lord Jesus. You've got to see Him on every page of your Bible. When we start reading this this morning, you've got to see Him. And if you don't see Him, you miss the point of the message. If when this day is over, you have not encountered Him, then I've not done my job. My job is to present Him. And to promote Him. And so my hope this morning is that you will encounter Him. And that you will see Him. Now, before we get started, I feel obligated to tell you that this message is going to be a challenge for some of you. It's going to test you. To listen and engage and hear. This isn't going to be your typical Sunday morning feel-good sermon. So look at your neighbor and tell them, hang on, it could get bumpy. Let's read from Matthew chapter 5. It's a really, really long passage. We're not going to read all of it. We'll start in verse 17. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. Not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. <coughs> Excuse me. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now what happens after this is that Jesus explains this in six subsets that start out like this. You have heard it said. But I say, there are six of them. We won't take time to read them all, but we will read starting with verse 43. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And in that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both evil and good. Don't miss that. God is no respecter of people. He gives light to the evil and to the good. He sends rain to the just and the unjust. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors. Now, again, to understand that language, you have to know that in Jesus' day, the absolute worst thing you could be was a tax collector. The people hated those tax collectors so much they despised them. So Jesus said, the people that you despise the most, they do that. 
If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans, atheists do that. Then he finishes in 48 by saying, but you are to be perfect. Even as your father in heaven is perfect. Do you know anybody who is a contrarian? Now, before you answer, let me explain what a contrarian is. A contrarian is someone who is completely, he embodies the opposite of what popular culture projects. For example, a person who hates all the movies that everybody else loves is a contrarian. A person who buys stocks when everybody's selling is a contrarian. So do you know any contrarians? Are you a contrarian? Because I think that when you look at Jesus, you would say, I would say, Jesus was a contrarian. And in reality, Jesus is calling the church to live like a contrarian. Not to embody what popular culture projects, but in fact, to be exactly the opposite. Over and over, the Bible tells us. Jesus said this in his prayer in John 16. He said, I pray that they will be in the world, but not of the world. That's the position where God wants you, to be in the world, but not of the world. Here's a really weird verse of scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. Peter says, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're peculiar. A peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What, what is it that makes us peculiar? You know, if you wear an orange shirt with green pants, that looks peculiar, but that don't make you peculiar. You're peculiar when you are in the world, but not of the world. You are peculiar when your life is a light in a dark place, like Pastor Dustin preached. When you choose not to conform to the customs and behaviors of the world, that violate your relationship with Jesus Christ. That makes you peculiar. It's like when you're out with your friends and all your friends are doing something that violates your relationship with God and they invite you to do it and you decline. Peter says what you're doing is you are showing light in a dark place. Now let me tell you what's happening there with your friends. Your friends don't care whether you do it or not. They just don't want you not doing it if they're doing it. Because you're not doing it becomes a preached message of righteousness to them. And that's what Jesus says. You're to live that kind of life in the world. Not to be contrary, because that's about attitude. But to live a life that positions you in a way that says, I know what God wants me to do. And I'm going to be obedient to God. Now just, because, just so there's no confusion. 
Jesus makes it clear at the beginning of this passage that he did not come to do away with the law of God, but to complete it. Now it's important to keep that in mind because we said at the very first week that this whole passage is filled, of, filled with very complex and difficult things. And what Jesus is trying to convey is that all of the rules, all the rules of the law, if you kept every one of them, it would not be enough. So you have to have Jesus. You have to accept Jesus. You can keep all the Ten Commandments, but if you don't get Jesus, you're lost. You give all your money to the poor, but if you don't get Jesus, if you don't embrace Him, if you don't acknowledge Him, you will be lost. And this message drives at that because we make we understand that it is not easy. My goodness, it's not easy in this world. The pressure to conform, to dress like, act like, to be what this world's trying to make us out to be and still have our faith in God, it is not easy. A couple of the teenage girls were in the altar a few weeks ago, girls that we love in our church, girls who worship right beside us every Sunday. And they're calling on the Lord and they're praying. And I said to those girls in the altar, I said, I'm, I'm praying for you, but I'm so sorry for the world that you live in. There is so much sexualization of girls, so much that the world is trying to do to drag you into the conforming to the way of the world. And yet God is calling you to walk in a way of holiness and righteousness and purity before the Lord. And I'm praying for you and I'm here. We're here to help you do that. You see, here's, here's the thing that Jesus wanted to drive home in verse 20. He'll put this up on the screen. It says, I warn you. Your righteousness has to be better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees or you will never enter the kingdom of God. What is he saying? What Jesus is saying is that he doesn't want a relationship with you that's just about keeping the rules. That salvation is not about keeping rules. He wants a relationship with you that's born out of his incredible love for, he, for you and his incredible love, your incredible love to him. And it's not about just keeping the rules because the rules will always remind us that what we are doing is inadequate. We'll never get there. We'll never get there. The only way that you'll ever see heaven is to fall on the grace and the mercy of God for your lostness. To come to Calvary's cross and declare to God, what a sinner I am! What a sinner I am. And that's the whole essence of this passage that God is calling us to live in a world that is so sinful and yet a higher approach to the way life is, is needed. I remember a number of years ago I was, I was in a particular setting where there were a lot of unbelievers. 
and we were we were talking about the weekend. I'll never forget this. And one of the guys said, man, I've worked hard this week. And I hope to God that I get so drunk this weekend that I can't even remember on Monday what I've done. And I said, is that what you're trying to achieve? Is that what you want to do with your life? How empty is your life if that's the highest approach? To fulfillment is to be so drunk that you do not know where you are. You see, that's the spirit of the age in which we live. And it calls out to us, the spirit of God calls out to us to be a people that are different, peculiar, contrarian. So six times Jesus says, you heard, but I say. And I've whittled all of that down to two statements that I'm going to make and then we'll be done. Here's the first one. Just avoiding sin like murder and adultery does not get to the true problem of our heart. Look at verse 21 and verse 22. If you still have your Bibles open. He said, you have heard your ancestors were told you shall not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. Okay, I think we all accept that. I can buy that. If you kill somebody, you're going to be judged. But notice what it says in 22. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Oh, my Lord. We're all under judgment. Have you been angry with anybody in the last 24 hours, the last 72 hours? Jesus said, now get this, don't, don't fall out because I told you to be a little bumpy. Jesus says it's the same thing as murder. He goes on to say, if you call someone an idiot, wow. I did that this week. You're an idiot. Jesus said, you're in danger of being brought before the court. If you curse somebody, you're in danger of hellfire. You see what I'm saying? Skip on down to verse 27. You've heard the commandment that says you shall not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So what's he saying? He's saying if you wrap yourself up in a self-righteousness that says, I don't commit adultery and I don't murder anybody, I guess I must be all right. Jesus said, you're in trouble. Because you're not dealing with the condition of your heart. How you behave and what you do is a reflection of what's in your heart. Not what you do. 
Jesus said, here's the problem. You may not kill somebody, but it's in your heart. And whether you kill them or not, in the eyes of God, it's the same. Because God's only interested in what's in your heart. There's an example told in the Gospels where Jesus' disciples were eating without washing their hands, which I don't know why they didn't do that, but the law said they had to wash their hands before they ate. And the Pharisees said to Jesus, well, your disciples, they're not really good disciples. They don't even wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus said, you're missing the point. I don't care whether they wash their hands or not. What goes into your mouth and into your body is inconsequential to me because it's what comes out of your heart. What goes into your mouth passes through your body and it's gone. But what's in your heart comes out and becomes the behavior of your life. So when you wrap yourself up and say, well, I would never murder anybody or I'd never be unfaithful to my spouse, Jesus says, so what? If it's in your heart, if it's in your heart, it's so easy for us to say what we wouldn't do, what we would never do, but we don't deal with the fact that in our heart are the evils that cause people to do the things that Jesus is talking about. Think the boy that shot the school up in Texas somewhere said, you know, one of these days I hope I grow up to be a mass killer. You think the man that's committed adultery or the woman that's committed adultery set out to say, you know what I want to do with my life? If I really get to do what I want to do, I want to be an adulterer. No, no. Nobody sits out to do it, but because it's in your heart. Because you've never dealt with what's in your heart. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It's not about what you're doing. And we put all the emphasis on what we do. We put all the emphasis on what we look like, what we say, how we position ourselves. Because we want to make ourselves look good. And, and Jesus says, God is not impressed. Because God knows what's in your heart. This is a little extreme, but it works. You ever met somebody who claimed to be so righteous and so holy, but were so hateful? Don't point, please. You see, what God would say is that I don't care what you look like. I care what's in your heart. Hatefulness is in your heart. And until you deal with what's in your heart, it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. You see, it's our heart that has to be fixed. My precious bride here, she reminds us so many times in our house. She quotes this out loud. She reads it to me out loud. She, she created me a clean heart. Let there be a clean heart in me, God, because if there's a clean heart in me, the rest of it will work itself out. If my heart is right, if you get your heart right, my God, I feel the presence of the Lord in this room. Get your heart right. Quit worrying about your behavior and get your heart right. If you get your heart right, your behavior lines up.
And be careful getting into discussions with people that go, you think it's wrong if... Because you know what that is? We're trying to see how close we can get to the line and still hold on to our faith. What's in your heart? Why would you even want to go there? What's wrong with you that you want to get that close to the line to say, how much can I get away with? No, what's in your heart? It's what God is calling this morning. It's what Jesus is saying to you. What's in your heart? That's why you're acting the way that you are. Your violent temper, your, your uh, uh, addictive behaviors, they're just the result of what's in your heart. You have to get at the heart issue. And if you don't, you'll never get it right. Here's the second statement. Our relationship to others is the best indicator of what Jesus means to us. Our relationship to others is the best indicator of what Jesus means to us. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said something that has so profoundly impacted me, it just, it strikes fear in my heart. He's talking about the judgment at the end, and he says, people are going to come to me, and they're going to say to me, now Lord, in your name, we cast out devils, we perform many mighty miracles. And Jesus said, I will say to them on that day, I never knew you. Which implies to me that it is possible that you could cast out a devil and not be right with Jesus. You could be used for powerful miracles and your heart is not right with Jesus. And yet you and I are so easily swayed by what we see people do. And we fail to appreciate that it's the relationship that we have with each other that is the best indicator of what Jesus means to us. Now in that last passage that I read to you, starting in verse 43, Jesus said this. He said... I'm sorry, it's, in, it's starting in verse 38. He says this. He said, if someone slaps you, let him slap you again. I bet you haven't heard that preached in a while. Tyrone, you know what I'm going to do if somebody slaps me? I'm going to be tempted to slap them back. Now, sometimes I'm restrained from that because I figure out if they're bigger than I am, they're going to come back again. Jesus said the relationship you have has to be contrary to the way the world is because that's the way the world is, isn't it? If somebody slaps me, by golly, I'm going to slap them back. That's the way of the world. Jesus said not so. He says if you get sued... Don't just give them what they're asking. Give them more than they're asking. It's a novel legal strategy, isn't it? You want $100 a mine? Here, take 200 
Jesus said, if you've been asked to do a hard thing, go an extra mile. Love your enemies. Even when they hate you. Pray for people who want to hurt you. You ever pray for somebody who just didn't like you? Well, it's hard to be it's hard to be objective in that kind of praying, isn't it? Because then you want to justify to God why they don't, they shouldn't not like you. I'm a good guy. Why do these people not like me? It's so countercultural, isn't it? To have the kind of relationship with people that is so different from the world. To refuse to be defensive. You know, Jesus talked about going the extra mile. He's talking about in his time, the Roman soldiers would come along and they would grab the Jews and say, carry my, my uh, shield or carry my weaponry or carry my luggage. And the Jews resented that about the Romans. But Jesus said, hey, if they ask you to do it and carry it a mile, carry it two miles. Pray for those that despitefully use you. And here's what he said. This, 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 it just messes with your head. I told you it'd be bumpy, but it just gets crazy. He said, in doing these kinds of things, then you will show that you are a true child of God. Ron Balton, I don't, I don't understand it. I read it and I get it, but I don't understand it. Jesus said, if they slap you, let them slap you again. And when you do that, they'll say, oh, he must be a child of God. No, it's not that silly. But it's the idea that I don't have to protect myself. These are radical ideas. I, I didn't... I didn't I hope you understood. I told you before we got started that what God was trying to say to Lake Erie was he's trying to take us to another place, but there's some stuff inside of us that has to get fixed. We can't go where God wants us to go until we deal with what's in our heart toward each other. These ideas were so radical. Dustin and I were talking about this the other day. This is the very reason they killed Jesus. He walked into their synagogues and told them that they should love their enemies. They hated him for it. They hated the way that Jesus talked to them. So how do we do it? Let's be real this morning and recognize that we live in a world where everybody's opinion divides the room. Social media has made all of us believe that our opinions are so valuable and so important. In fact, I was just talking with Katie before service. Some of us just need to get off of social media. We're not representing Jesus with our words. I saw some people who were going on and on about the abortion thing and I thought, just get off of social media or quit claiming to be a Christian. We're not going to win the world by calling them names. 
And we are teaching our children. Now get this. We are teaching our children to hate people who disagree with us. We're teaching our children to see as threats anybody who is not looking at the world through our lenses. Here's a question you can't answer. Because I can't answer it. I don't know anybody can answer it. Why is everybody in America so mad? Have you noticed that? Everybody's mad. Even the church folk are mad. I, I, I pull up to any four-way stop, I'll guarantee you there are two cars there that are mad. People flip you off and scream and honk their horn and blow at you just because you didn't let them go ahead of them. Why is everybody so mad? Why is everybody so angry? Oh, if you're not careful, you buy into the attitude of this world that says that you have a right to give people the peace of your mind. And we say that we're doing it because we're telling them the truth. And we brag about it and we think God is good with it, but he's not. What happens? Listen to me. I'm telling you from my heart. What happened to praying and letting God take care of stuff? You know, there have been times in, my, in the church here, and don't ask me for details, but there have been times in the church here where I've said to God, now God, listen, you're either going to have to fix that situation or I'm going to have to get in the middle of something that's going to get really messy. But I'm trusting you. Time after time after time, I've watched the hand of God begin to work. You see, if we'll trust the Lord, God will work out our problems. If we will give the Lord the opportunity, He'll bring about healing in our relationships with each other. Much of the problems that we have with each other is because of what we've said. The things that we've said, thinking that we were doing right. But instead of, our, instead of loving our brother, we've hated on our brother. And we've created division even in our own rank. Where church people don't speak to other church people because they've got an issue with them. they got problems with them because of something they said or didn't say or didn't do or did do or whatever it is. And we think God's good with that, but He's not. He keeps asking, what's in your heart? Why are you so messed up about that person? Say, well, you know, if they, if they really want to make it right, they just come and apologize. Well, what if they don't? Are you going to stay mad forever? Maybe they should. Maybe you deserve somebody to come and apologize to you. And I hope they do. But if they don't, what are you going to do? Jesus said, if you feel like there's an ought between your brother, you go to him. You make it right. Don't come talk to me about your stuff until you've made it right with your brother. God is calling this church. He's calling this pastor. He's calling you to a deeper relationship with him. 
It can't be business as usual anymore. It can't be three songs and an offering and a simple sermon. There's too much for us to do. Too many lost people in the world. Too much responsibility to carry the light in the darkness. God has raised this church up for a holy purpose, a divine purpose. But maybe you're asking the question I did when I was putting this together. What am I supposed to do with this message? Well, here's something you can do. Close your eyes right now. Everybody in this room, close your eyes. Think about somebody. doesn't have to be anybody in this room, but think about somebody with whom you have a really difficult relationship. Maybe it's an ex-husband, ex-wife. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a former friend. Someone that you once were, were close to. That you have a really difficult relationship with. I want to ask you two questions while your eyes are still closed. You're thinking about that person. Is the animosity that you feel toward them helping you? Are you becoming a better person because of the way that you feel about them? Second question, what would happen if you took Jesus' advice and you simply chose to love them in spite of what they've done to you? Now, I'm not pretending that this is easy. But I am telling you it will take your relationship with God to another level. Okay, you can open your eyes up. I want to finish this morning a few weeks ago we prayed a sinner's prayer in this room and an individual raised their hand who had never been a believer before as far as I know at least I don't think so from the conversations we've been having and so on Monday and Tuesday, as I normally do, I text all of the new believers. I try to get them signed up for the seven-day digital journey. This individual wrote me back and, with this question. I'm excited about what we've done. Can you tell me what, what it was that we signed up for when we raised our hands? I chuckled when I first read it. But it started gnawing at me. And I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I thought about it. And the other day I was reading my Bible, and I ran on this verse of Scripture, which answers that question that I was asked. What did I sign up for when I gave my heart to the Lord? I love that question. Here it is in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It's on the screen. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in an earthly body 
by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And if you're listening to me this morning, that's what you signed up for. To be a living, breathing example in this world of what it looks like when somebody is fully devoted to the Lord. My life is not my own anymore. It's not I that live, Paul says. I'm not who I once was. I've been changed. I've been transformed by the grace of God. I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm living for the glory of God. I now represent the kingdom of God in my life. My relationship. In my living. So how I treat my neighbor reflects whether I'm of this world or a child of the heavenly kingdom. I don't have to fight to get my way. I simply want what God wants for my life, for my marriage, for my future. It's no longer what I want. It's what God wants. Creating me a clean heart. See if there's any evil way in me. Lead me to the path of righteousness. I don't want to close without making this statement because I think it's important. Maybe you're here this morning. and You've been hurt by someone in the church. Someone maybe who claimed to be a Christian acted out in an unchristian way. Maybe you've been hurt out there in the world by somebody who claimed to be a believer, but their, their life didn't measure up. And it caused you to be offended or hurt. Maybe there have been conversations and things that you've seen. Maybe I've disappointed you. Maybe I haven't been what you needed me to be. Whatever it is. I want you to understand something. If I hurt you, if somebody hurts you, that's not Jesus hurting you. That's somebody hurting you. You may have been hurt at a church somewhere. And I respect that. You keep going from church to church, you're trying to find that perfect church, there's not one. But what happens is, Keep going because you're trying to find something that you cannot find. And your image of Jesus gets damaged by trying to compare everybody to some perfection. You're missing the point. There's no perfect people. There's no perfect church. There's only a perfect Savior. And He invites you this morning. He invites you this morning to encounter Him. When your eyes are on Jesus, the old song said, the things of this world will grow faintly dim in the light of His glory. 
When we live for Jesus in a world that's hostile to faith, we don't have to defend Jesus. Jesus is not asking you to defend him. He defend himself. He just says, live it. Live it. Live it. Leave people shaking their head. How in the world could you do that? Jesus. That's how I did it. Be the light. Be proud of being peculiar in a world that's hostile. Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeeriechurch.com.